Hello, you're listening to Wait, How Do You Spell That? A Rare Disease Podcast. My name is Colby, and I'm the content manager here at Patient Worthy. Before we get started today, I wanted to take a moment to thank the listeners that have taken the time to reach out to us lately. We really appreciate the feedback that you've given us, especially the people who've given the show a rating on their favorite podcast platforms. We are a small operation here at Patient Worthy, so it's always really nice to hear that you enjoy the work that we do in our quest to help keep the patient voice front and center. Small things like show ratings and emails may not seem like much on the outside, but they really do go a long way. And if you'd like to drop me a line and let me know what's on your mind, you can always reach me by sending an email to colby at patientworthy.com. Thanks again. And today, I'm happy to say that we've got a special guest on the show. His name is Nick Galarakis, and he's the co-founder of Elephants and Tea, a nonprofit media outlet dedicated to supporting adolescent and young adult cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers. Nick, welcome to the show, and thanks for coming on. Thanks, Colby, for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, just to start with, I was wondering, can you give us a little background about yourself and what led you down the road to cancer support and advocacy? Yeah, absolutely. So for, for myself personally and my family, it's, it's, it's been a 15-year experience, if you will. Um, my, my brother, Steve, is a four-time cancer survivor at the age of 30. Uh, he, his first cancer that he had when he was only 15 years old, which is happens to be 15 years ago. Uh, and actually 15 years ago, last week, uh, he gave me a phone call and said, today's my 15th anniversary from getting my first cancer. And I would, we'd laughed and like, do we celebrate that? Or I'm not quite sure what you do, <laughs> but, uh, we've been, as far as background myself, we've been very involved because personal ties, right. Uh, the Steve, our inspiration with everything that we do, seeing that he's, uh, beaten out a stage four cancer at the age of 15 osteosarcoma been diagnosed with a secondary cancer, AML, uh, leukemia, when he was 18, having to get a, a bone marrow transplant. And then again, uh, almost two years ago, diagnosed with two new cancers, a pleomorphic sarcoma, uh, as well as renal cell carcinoma. So a primary and a secondary. Uh, so he's our inspiration behind, you know, why we're so involved in the cancer space in advocacy and community support, if you will. Uh, there's other reasons as well of, of why we do what we do with elephants and tea, uh, with our magazine, which I will talk about a little bit more, but my background personally is in content marketing as well and, and publications. So that's where we kind of meld the two together between myself and my family on, on coming up with new ideas uh, as far as helping the community, if you will. Okay. And can you tell us a little more about Elephants and Tea? Uh, what are some of the goals of its mission to help support adolescent and young adult cancer patients and survivors? Absolutely. So Elephants and Tea, to put in context, everybody has this is going to be our third year of existence. We launched in December of 2018, uh, which seems so long ago. I don't know if last year was just so long for everybody, but um, but Elephants of Tea, the whole reason for its existence is to support the adolescent and young adult community from a survivorship standpoint. <clears throat> and what we mean by that is to make sure that there are people that are faced with cancer can continue to have some sort of normalcy or a life, if you will, uh, after treatments or after they're, they're done with cancer. But as we all know, uh, for those that are in the cancer community, you're never really done with cancer. Uh, the side effects from treatments and uh, psychosocial issues, things like that, that are specific to the AYA age group, which for those that aren't familiar with the adolescent young adult age range, it's 15 to 39. Uh, we launched Elephants and Tea to support this community in that way. And when we launched Elephants and Tea, the idea behind it was to create this new media, this new magazine, if you will. Uh, for people to share their own experiences and what they're going through to help inspire each other. But the idea was to set it up like 
a typical magazine with editorial, with reporters, and, and a lot. And we would do a lot of the editing, right? <clears throat> and so when we decided to to this was our idea, we sat down with some focus groups between survivors, patients, oncology teams, and got feedback from them on this idea. And we were pretty much shot down with that idea. And and frankly, everyone told us that we don't want someone else to tell our stories. Let us tell our own stories. So Elephants and Tea is exactly that. It is all first-person contributed content from stories, from experiences, specifically from the AYA community. So it's written for and by the AYA cancer community, whether it's patients, survivors, thrivers, caregivers, uh, et cetera. And, and so it's been really fascinating to see how quickly this has just become a, a new community, if you will, within the community, I should say. And the way that Elephants and Tea works, as I mentioned, it's all contributed content. We have four quarterly magazines that come out in March, June, September, and December that are free to anyone that wants it, print or digital. We send it to you. Uh, we're actually in 60 hospitals and organizations as well, where we send them to those organizations for free because we feel as though that anyone that needs some sort of inspiration or needs to uh, latch onto some sort of community should be able to get that for free. We didn't want to charge anybody for it. And, and so that is our, our big bread and butter, if you will, on what we do is the magazine. But we also have our website as well and other digital programs. Our website, we, we post three new stories a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, and we have over 170 contributors across 10 different countries, which is just blows my mind. And, you know, to going on our third year of existence, we're already hitting those types of marks. And it just goes to show you that there's a need for that. And really, the, I think the biggest need of why it's, it's caught on so fast is people have been isolated, uh, even before COVID, uh, which we, we can go down that path. Obviously, the, the cancer community no, is no stranger to isolation. Mm-hmm. But specifically in the adolescent and adult space, they're stuck in this weird limbo of either being treated at a pediatric side and being with uh, kids and people that are much younger than they are, or being treated in an adult hospital with people that are much older than they are. So mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's an interesting concept there and understanding that there are some certain psychosocial issues specifically for that age. And sometimes they struggle and are isolated to try to find those resources. Right. Not to mention the sort of restrictions that have been put into place during the pandemic on treatment centers and how that's just not, uh, you know, something that would have been done in the past when having to think about COVID. Um, I I wonder if you can talk a little more about this particular, uh, these particular patient groups here, the adolescent and and young adults, the people you have in, in your magazine and on your podcast telling their stories. What sorts of challenges do they talk about? Uh, things that people might not realize. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, number one, I, I kind of mentioned it already, but isolation. I, I think that they're really out on an island by themselves at times. And I'll give you a, a quick example with with one of the programs that we run. It's it started off as just a happy hour just to check in on people when COVID first hit. And we said, hey, why don't we just invite the community and see what happens? And we were originally going to run it for a couple months. And it's now a weekly thing for us on Fridays um, at 530 Eastern. We just invite people to come hang out and be with people that are going through it together. And I actually thought a lot of these folks that joined knew each other before this. And 90% of them did not know each other at all. Wow. And so they, they flat out have said that COVID's almost been a blessing in disguise for some of them, because while there are awesome events like Cancer Comp put on by Stupid Cancer and other summits, events, et cetera, where people can go and meet other young adults dealing with cancer, COVID forced us and many others, even though we were already looking at it, to be more digitally savvy and connect people. 
And so we've been able to connect people with other patients and survivors like them, um, whether it's the same cancer type or just a similar age group with each other. And so they feel less isolated. And, and one of our big things that we strive for is making sure people, they don't feel like they're facing cancer alone. And that's probably the number one thing that this age group really deals with. Number two, uh, from that standpoint, is the psychosocial side of things. And we can go on a full gamut of psychosocial issues, um, whether it's relationships, intimacy, um, people have a lot of problems with that. Um, fertility is a huge issue with this age group as well. They have to make a quick decision on, do I jump into treatment tomorrow or do I try to preserve my eggs, preserve my sperm? And sometimes those conversations aren't happening. So when they're done with cancer treatments, they try to have a relationship with someone. It's hard enough to tell someone that you have cancer, but then throwing the bombshell into like, you know, I'm probably not going to be able to have my own kids just so you know, that's tough. Uh, you know, and so that's, that's another psychosocial issue that people deal with um, financially, career-wise. A lot of these individuals really struggle um, with pain management and other things that come from the side effects of chemo treatments because a lot of times this age group gets diagnosed later in the game, right? Because you see this young, healthy 18, 22 year old uh, and the doctor, you know, they're doing their jobs of kind of checking the box, right? Like, well, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this. It can't be cancer because mm -hmm. cancer is rare enough to begin with right. that age group. Um, but by the time they do think it's cancer, it has progressed in some of these folks. They're really blasted with some strong treatment. So a lot of side effects come from that is a huge part of it too. Receiving a cancer diagnosis is, you know, it's really scary at any age. There's a lot of unknowns in progression, treatment, prognosis, and, and that's on top of some of the things that you just mentioned for this particular age group. Um, and that's something you've experienced with, with your brother. Do you have any advice for young people who are facing a cancer diagnosis, whether that be for themselves or for a family member? Yeah. So a couple of things. Number one, um, it's going to be a shock. You know, there's, there's no two ways about it, but I, I, I would stress to people, don't be afraid to ask for help. Number one, I think that a lot of folks think that they should just put their head down, get through the treatments and they want to get out with their life. Right. But I think it's important for people to understand that there are people at those hospitals and institutions that they're treated at that are there to help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Number one, number two, self-advocate for yourself. I cannot preach this enough to people that speaking up when you don't feel right, you don't feel well, or you have a question about something, you don't understand what the doctor is saying to you or the nurse is saying to you, have them re-explain it. I, you know, I think that's just some low-hanging fruit, but a lot of people, they really don't ask a second time. And number three, I think that the other thing too is don't be afraid to also look for stuff outside of your own geolocation, right? Um, there might not be something like, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, right? There, there are, I know there are awesome organizations here in Cleveland, but if you are in an area that doesn't have those, don't be afraid just to go online and see what else is out there too, um, just from a, a support standpoint. And a lot of people, and we see it in guys a ton, that they want to just kind of get through their treatments and move on. It's important to know that there's, there's people out there that want to help you. Um, and, and you are going to get a lot of, uh, scansiety. So just be aware of that. I think that that's downplayed sometimes when it comes to getting scans and things like that, everybody goes through it from the folks that we work with, the folks that we talk to, 
everyone gets very nervous about it. It's a natural feeling. It stinks. No one wants to feel like that. But that's where I think it's important to find those groups where you can talk to someone that's been through it as well. What about friends and family members of people who have a cancer diagnosis? How can they best support their loved ones? Yeah, that's a great question, Colby, because this is actually something that uh, my brother Steve and I, and we're, we're two of three brothers, I should mention too. We do have an older brother, Phil, who of course was extremely involved in Steve's recovery and treatments and everything else. And we talk about this at length at times, but it took us a while to talk about it at length, right? Here we are. When we launched Elephants and Teeth three years ago, it was the first time the three of us actually sat down and talked about Steve's having two different cancers. And so, but, but back to your question, and the advice I would give to people is, listen, ask what you can do and almost suggest things that you can help with to the patient that's going through it, whether it's your son, whether it's your brother, your sister, your daughter, ask them what they need specifically. Don't just say to them, hey, what do you need? Or let me know what you need. It actually so happened, somebody wrote an article for us uh, last month and talked about how his sister said, give me a job to do. And I have never heard someone specifically say that to their loved one saying, hey, give me a job to do. What job do you need? Hmm. And the job that he gave her was she was in charge of snacks. So whenever he was hungry, he would text her or call her or whatever the case may be, whether it was the hospital or at home. And her job was she had a list of snacks that he loved. She would go and she was the snack person for him. And so I think there's things like that that are extremely important. My brother, Steve, told us that, hey, I don't need another parent. I don't need another doctor to tell me what to do with my treatments. Be there for me from a social standpoint or if there is something else I need help with as well. You know, it took, it took me a while to realize that stop trying to coach Steve and how he should live his life and just show up to have a beer with him or play a video game right. or whatever the case might be. Right. And just to be there from a supportive standpoint and that standpoint, and, and, and just to kind of, you know, sum this up, just be there as well. I mm-hmm. think a lot of people sit back and wait for that patient to tell them what they need. And that's probably the worst thing that someone can do while you definitely want to be respectful to someone, but it's still extremely important just to show up and be supportive. I think that's something that we, that, that I've heard at least talking to uh, a number of advocates or, or family members of people uh, with rare conditions is that these people almost get a, like a second identity forced onto them by being diagnosed with this. You know, you, you are now someone with cancer or a cancer survivor, and it can almost sort of supersede uh, any other identities they have before. So this person is still your brother, uh, even though they have a cancer diagnosis now, and that doesn't really change that. Exactly. I think it's a great way to put it. It's, you know, they don't want cancer to define them, right? Even mm-hmm. though cancer is clearly a part of their life, they don't want to be that person that every party they go to, every gathering they go to, it's like, oh, look, there's the cancer patient, right? It's like, no, this is still Jim Bob or whatever their name might be, right? And I think that that's important that you still support that person Mm -hmm. and just don't distance them because they're going through cancer. Let's turn toward rare cancers for a second. Uh, As you mentioned a little earlier, cancer is already rarer in the younger population relative to adults. So this AYA patient group that you're talking about. And, And like any condition, there are some cancers that receive more of the spotlight, so to speak, when it comes to things like awareness and advocacy. 
But some of these conditions are actually more likely to show up in children and adolescents. Uh, hepatoblastoma in children under five, for instance, or hepatocellular carcinoma in teenagers, both types of liver cancers. Can you speak some about uh, the rarer cancers and some of your experiences in covering them? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, two come to mind immediately and sarcomas, they can take so many different shape and form, but specifically to this age group, it's like, like I, I use my brother as an example, you know, having osteosarcoma, it's, it seems as though it's not so rare anymore, which is terrifying to a certain extent, um, but it pops up in different places. And that's like Steve's case was so unique because it was in his, his L4 vertebrae. Uh, like we've never heard that before. It's usually in a leg, an arm, for example. Um, but, but the sarcomas are really uh, rare in general. And this age group sees it a ton for whatever reason. Um, so that, that's number one. The, the next one that comes to mind, you know, I, I lost a dear friend to this cancer. Uh, and I, I now know a handful of people that have it. And that's neuroendocrine cancer or neuroendocrine tumors. And this is one that is just, it's nasty, right? I don't, you know, right now there really is no cure for it at all. Uh, it's something that you either, you live with. And we've, we've seen it pop up more and more recently. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's wild. And, and just how that can completely, when you get diagnosed with the cancer, that there's no cure for at this age. It's one thing when you're much older, you know, you've lived a full life, you have kids, not to saying that, you know, we're discounting the fact that you still have cancer and you're, you're facing a life-threatening illness. But when you're in your 20s and you get diagnosed with neuroendocrine cancer and it could, depending on how quickly it's metastasizing and spreading with the pancreas and other areas, uh, it really is, is, is scary. Um, you know, those, that, that is definitely, I, I would say, one of the rare ones I've seen uh, over the, the more recent times here. Just in general too, right, Colby, I think that just AYA cancer, when we first started uh, five years ago, looking at doing stuff like this and with our foundation that we're a part of as well, it was something like 70,000 people a year we getting diagnosed. We're almost at 90,000 now. And it's like, holy crap, like what, what is changing? Why are we getting more and more cancers in this age group or are they just diagnosing them? Um, and I'm sorry, you know, I'm gonna add a third in here. We're, you know, colorectal cancer. Mm -hmm. uh, and while colon cancer might not be so rare in older populations, it's popping up all of a sudden in teenagers uh, in the lower end of the AYA space. And that's been something that's really been concerning and, and wild to see. And uh, let's turn to some of your publishing efforts there. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier, you publish a quarterly magazine as well. Uh, it's also called Elephants in Tea. And the newest edition is out this month in March. And starting a magazine in the 2010s must have had its own challenges, I'd imagine. Uh, we're, we're obviously no strangers to publishing here at Patient Worthy. You, you alluded to uh, you know, sitting down with groups earlier uh, to kind of uh, focus this and see how you were going to do it. Um, I wonder if you could talk for a second about why it's so important to let uh, people with cancer, uh, survivors and caregivers tell their stories in their own words. Absolutely. So, so first of all, the, the, starting a print magazine, the, as you can imagine, Colby, the heads that turned when I, I said, yeah, this is what we're going to do. They looked at me as if like I, I was crazy. Um, we actually had some hospitals at first say, you know, don't bother sending us this print. The AYAs don't want print. <laughs> um, 
you know, and I, and I've, again, being a content marketing background that I am, uh, and being a, a nerd when it comes to content marketing, I, I, sh- I pulled out a statistic that showed them that this age group, there's actually more people that subscribe to print that are actually on Facebook. Um, and so when I share that stat with people, they were kind of just shocked that that was even the case. But and I should mention too, one of those hospitals, by the way, they're now, they get probably the most magazines out of anybody <laughs> um, yeah. because they, they said it was when patients saw it, it was, it was amazing to see someone else either with the same cancer or even with a similar story of what they're dealing with. Sure. Right. There's also something about seeing it in print, you know, in longer, longer form writing like that. That's different than just seeing a Facebook post in pasting. Yeah. But I, I know what you mean. I've been on the receiving end of that advice as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and I think you hit it on the head too, right? It's, we hear from a lot of our partners that we do digital things with. Uh, and, and it's even the same concept with in-person events, right? In-person things, whether it's a physical, tangible item that you can hold in your hand or go be a part of, it makes things, it almost makes them real to a certain point. And I'm not trying to poo-poo the digital space because good Lord, I was in charge of digital products for years. Um, but again, back to the, the, the question that why is this so relevant? And why is this you know, working? And why are people diving into it? the fact that people are able to relate to someone that is going through it like they are. And most, most English majors, uh, my mother is a PhD in special education. And so I had to basically tell her, ignore your, your, what we were all taught with grammar and everything else, because I didn't want to change anyone's voice in some of these stories. And our copy editors for the magazine, we had to get them out of this mold of stop changing how the voice is written let them speak how they, how they wrote. That's just my, how they speak. And it is what it is. And that has resonated with folks. The fact that you have a different feel from story to story is just so awesome. And I think very powerful for people to be able to find someone that, that speaks similarly to them, regardless of where they're at. And I know you have a podcast as well, you know, so you are, you are getting these messages out across multiple forms of media here. It's called Spilling Tea with the G's. It's now in its second season, correct? Correct, yes. Yeah. And what sort of topics do you cover on the podcast? So the topics that we like to cover on this is, in, first of all, inviting people that support the AYA cancer community and how they're doing that, or even tips for the community. For example, we have two individuals who, uh, both survivors, they are very active in the Twitter space. Uh, specifically Twitter chats. And so we had them on to talk about, you know, first of all, how scary was it as a patient to dive into social media? Because social media can be a very mean place, as we all know. And so how how were you able to connect with people? So that's just one example of bringing people on to kind of help educate or give people uh, advice on how to start off on social media. Uh, another area was bringing on two people that are involved in the navigating system within a hospital setting to talk about their point of view of things. And then, of course, two other partners like Lacuna Loft, for example, for those who don't know Lacuna Loft, they're an amazing organization that does different creative workshops, so creative expression, writing workshops, things like that. So for to, they build a community around being able to come together and focus on what they're dealing with with a creative uh, mindset around it. So just trying to highlight what's out there for folks. Because again, we know that even though we have our own community, we have our own hangouts, we have our own support systems, 
that we might not be for everybody. So it's important for people to know who else is out there. Okay. And what's next for Elephants and Tea? Are there any exciting projects on the horizon, uh, perhaps your next issue that you'd like to talk about today? Sure. So the next thing that's on the horizon is has just started this year, and that's our purgatory events. And, and what, what is purgatory? And I spell it uh, perk as if like your coffee or tea is brewing. Mm-hmm. Um, so P-E-R-K-A-T-O-R-Y. It's a play on purgatory. Uh, and what we do here once a month, we invite five writers to write about a specific topic and come and read their stories out loud to our audience. And we invite folks to come and be a part of that. And so we've done two so far and we have a different topic each time. And the whole idea is brewing tough conversations for facing cancer. And so we want people as anyone that's been affected by cancer, whether you're a patient or you're a caregiver, you're stuck in purgatory. You're stuck in this time bubble essentially. And the, and the world just moves on without you. So we want to focus on those specific topics. So it's just another way to bring to life um, through video and through interaction online of what people have, are writing on our website or in the magazines. And so I'll give you an example. Um, we talked a little bit about the advice to give to loved ones on being present. That was actually our topic last month. And so five individuals wrote about that and then read their stories aloud. And they were actually able to confront a lot of deep emotions from people for one of our, our gentlemen that, that spoke he had three really good friends, two of which he has not spoken to again because they just never showed up for him, where the one um, moved away and still would fly back and help him. So it was able to confront some serious topics and issues that they haven't talked about before in a meaningful way. And something that accidentally is starting to happen with both of these uh, that we've done so far is that people are inviting their families to come listen. And I never thought this would even be the case. But for a lot of these support groups, it's pretty closed off to those that are dealing with cancer and the, the patients or survivors. It's not usually the family members that show up, but we've had family members now show up to both these events and it has introduced them to what their son or daughter is going through within this community. So that's really cool to see that the two worlds are colliding for some folks. Um, but again, at the end of this month, we're focusing on guys uh, and talking about guys and their emotions since a lot, of, a lot of dudes just, just don't show up to support groups, but when they do, they realize it's something they should have done a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So that's the next one. And then after that, we're actually having people write letters to the younger selves to give advice to them on what to expect. So a lot of cool topics, a lot of cool things going on with that. Uh, and we're getting a lot of awesome buzz around it too. So that's, that's our next thing. Uh, and then later this year, we're having our second, what we call uh, Young Adult Cancer Gab Fest with our partners at Lacuna Loft. It's actually a week long of interactive crash courses for facing cancer. And that'll be in December. So ways away still, but if people wanna check out what we did last year, you can find it on our website too. Um, We had over 130 people attend throughout the week, which was just really awesome having a different theme in the evenings. So people don't have to worry about interrupting their work days or their weekends and come and hang out through Zoom and and really just kind of dive in and, and be a part of conversations that you know, whether it's sexuality, whether it's finding their own voice, self-advocating for themselves and hearing it from other people too. So it's, it's pretty, pretty cool environment that, that we have there too. Okay. And if people want to find out more information about these events or about the podcast or the magazine uh, with Elephants and Tea, what's the best place for them to do that? For sure. Elephantsandtea.com. Everything is on our website there. 
And of course, anyone's always welcome to email me at nick at elephantsandtea.com. And are you on social media as well? We are absolutely. So we're Elephants and Tea is on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Okay. And we'll have links to the Elephants and Tea homepage where you can find out more about the organization and read their patient stories or perhaps participate in some of these events in the show notes for this episode. All right, Nick, I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast today. You've brought us a lot of great information, and I wish you the best of luck in your work to support people with cancer and their families. Everyone, go check out that website at elephantsandtea.com. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, Colby. I appreciate it. Uh, It was a pleasure, and hopefully we can do it again soon. And of course, you can keep up with the latest in rare disease news by visiting patientworthy.com at any time. Be sure to follow us on social media by searching for Patientworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, thank you for leaving ratings and reviews on your favorite podcasting apps. They really go a long way toward helping us out. And as always, thanks for listening. 